Well, our moms think we're funny. Hey, everybody. It's going. Oh, I mean, we haven't actually said anything. You could actually say a little bit more, but okay. All right. Just trying to minimize editing. (laughs) Yeah, because you're the one that's up to like three o'clock in the morning, like listening through it again for a second time and then posting it. I have no one else to listen to it the first time, man. Yeah, but... Oh, man, I completely forgot. Yeah, I'll I'll get to you in a minute. One o'clock. If, if if you even bother to tell me that you put it in the Dropbox, <laughs> and, and then I'm like I'm like wait what? And I'm like oh okay yeah um shit wow this is um uh like okay all right uh, yeah I'll just be up listening to it and then yeah uh, okay all right so um so yeah so much right? um here we go buckle the fuck up kitties you know. As far as editing goes, the everything we just said could be completely cut out, and then you could just still start it off from like where we're could. Hmm. Uh, you, you, ah, uh, he tired me sometimes. <laughs> All right, everybody. My name is Torque One Eighty Two, and I'm a Comey, and I'm here to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me see what my knuckles say. Oh shit, my knuckles don't say that at all. My knuckles say my name is Buck. <laughs> I mean, you're here to party. I am. You know the just whole... like because you because know, you know my girl wants to. Yeah, the whole kick ass and chew gum thing—it's wrong because he should say I'm here to chew bubble gum or kick ass. Because then when he says, "Oh, I'm all out of gum," that means well, the only recourse left is to kick ass. But saying I'm here to chew gum and kick ass, I'm all out of gum. It's like, well, I guess I can't kick ass because I gotta. Chew gum and kick ass. Well, okay. So again, going back to, and that's how I got shot. <laughs> I'm here to chew bubble gum. And, I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, right? Yeah. And, and he starts like you know, kicking ass. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. But um, I don't see you chewing any gum. <laughs> and that's how I got shot. So, <laughs> so he says, I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of gum. So then no one says something smart ass like, I don't see you chewing any gum. You're getting a lot of ass here, you know. <laughs> or going up to him and like offering him some, like some gum. So maybe that's all he needs is to just be offered gum. Maybe that's probably what it is. Oh my god, you saw this! I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of gum. I've got gum. Well, thank you. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> You're a good man, Phil. Wow, what a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So today, so, hey, I asked you just because of that. Do you have a thing for Malincon? For what? Madeline Kahn. Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles. Oh, the, the German chick from Blazing yeah. Saddles? She's cute. And plus she was also in, um, was she in, um, Clue as well? I wouldn't know. I haven't seen Clue. I haven't either. But everyone, I mean, it's, it's, it's supposed to be like one of these, like, amazing classics, you know, you know cult classics. So I'm like, oh, I guess I do need to watch it sometime. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's cute. She's not like somebody I would just immediately, like bring up if you ask me a list of actresses I'm attracted to, but, uh... Right, she's no... She's no Bugs Bunny when he dresses as a girl bunny, right? Well, yeah. Right. So, okay. Look at those shoulder pads. God, see, I, prominent. I don't know where she got that outfit from, but all it would take is just, uh, to dye it, and that would be my, you know, my name is Rob. Uh, <laughs> Don, you know, that would be my my name is Don, you know, sick jacket. <laughs> Because her shoulder pads. Oh my god, those shoulder pads. Yeah, right. she kind of looks like a Goomba from the Mario Brothers movie. Oh, okay. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so, um... Hey, Algami! Yo. What are we talking about today? Uh, that's a good question. We're talking about that movie, right? Oh, yeah, we are talking about that movie. Unless you want to talk about Mars. Um, no, I think we should talk about the movie. Mars Needs Moms. It does. That's not the movie we're talking about. Oh, my God. Porn parody, Mars Needs Milfs. <laughs> I'd watch it. Mars Needs Moms, and then, and then like, in parentheses, I'd like to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Still starring Seth Green. Of course. Okay. I'm just putting it out there. And Joan Cusack. <laughs> yeah, no, we are actually today talking about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. This is the first time I watched it. Uh, and you said you had not read the comic book. I had not, no. But you are a big fan of Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. And you are a second level warlock, or am I wrong? I'm still just learning right now. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, so. I don't know if I could ever take the steps that Alan Moore's taken in uh, learning magic because he prays to his stone snake statue. Oh, like, uh, like what was his name? Uh, Cole, uh, Cole, Cole, whatever, from uh, Conan? Yeah, maybe. Gothel, whatever his name is. Um, I think I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, uh, the... Kim, um, the Kimbo's. <laughs> Lion King. Lion King? What? <laughs> James Earl Jones was the bad guy in Conan. Did the voice of the Lion gotcha, King. Gotcha, okay. I wasn't sure where that... Just wow. Randomly shouting out movie titles. <laughs> Lion so, King! James Earl Jones! <laughs> Um, um, uh, Citizen Kane! Things you do with the blender! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my, my stream of consciousness is taking me like down river to the rapids and you like <laughs> got stuck in the trees. <laughs> I left my paddle behind! I left my paddle behind! <laughs> uh, so anyway, I kept, I kept wanting to say Cullen Gath. I'm like, no, that's not who it is. That's a completely different guy. <laughs> um, what's his name? Like Toth Dune or something like that? Anyway. I, I don't know. So, um, yes, yeah, so we're talking about uh, leaving short and a gentleman. Um, I am not a practicing warlock or wizard at all. And it's because I, you know, just because of me, <laughs> I kept trying to, I was like, I can't find any, like, uh, like I have, uh, like a eye of newt. No, it's like, uh, uh, wing of newt. And it was like, no, no, it's eye of newt, <laughs> wing of bat. And I'm like, oh shit. So I'm going to do all these bad eyes. And you're like, oh. That's your blind asshole. The <laughs> eyes don't do anything. I'm like, <laughs> just get the fuck out. Well, they're blind now. <laughs> I'm like, wait, you need to dye my hair red for nothing? Because, <laughs> I mean, let's face it, I'm a Ron. Are you a Ron? I'm a Ron. I'm definitely not hairy. <laughs> I can't remember who it was. It might have actually been Scarlett Johansson who posted, it was, some, it was some redhead posted a picture of herself on her Twitter and somebody commented like, Hand-me-down clothes, red hair. You must be a Weasley. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. There's only, there's only three people I can be. It's either... Snape. No, not named Snape, because Snape is kind of a good guy. Snape, so, Snape's a simp. He's not a good guy. So, it's either... He should not be named. Ron <laughs> or Dobby. Those are the only three people I can be. So, I mean, Dobby I don't know which one. given Master a sock. <laughs> Dobby's going to go masturbate. <laughs> My socks fall. <laughs> Alright, so um so anyway. Um I think I would be Voldemort. I kinda gotta be. Yeah. I'm bald and angry. Well, if you hadn't You know, okay, that's the thing with, with um in Harry Potter. 
they have bald people and and like bald wizards. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have bald wizards unless for some reason you just like I can't fucking stand hair. <laughs> 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 Alopecia, wisha wisha, and poof. Like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I mean, just you should not have bald people um, in like the the as, as a wizard, you maybe know, as a non muggle in Harry Potter. Maybe they just think it looks cool. They could. And I'm just saying, if that's if you think it looks cool, maybe yeah. they saw me and they were like, "Hey, who's that strong, handsome man drawing comics? I wish I looked like him." <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't I'm, know. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of role models. It's like, I'm just like, go with Voldemort over here. Why do we got like a Voldemort? Because you bald. You bald. You Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um. So, yeah, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, written yeah. by Alan Moore and drawn by uh, Kevin O'Neill. Kevin. <laughs> Kevin O'Neill, who is a amazing artist. He has a, mm-hmm. a very different art style. It's almost like, I would say it's Mad Magazine on meth. I'd say so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that's not to be, that's not to be demeaning at all. It's just that it's, his his art style is really kind of wild. It's out there. It's um, it's alternative and kind of punk. Yeah, yeah, very British, very British. Mm-hmm. Um, I love British art styles because we were just talking about Jamie Hewlett's stuff yesterday and uh, Frank Quitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, but uh, and I mentioned I mentioned Kevin O'Neill because he also did Martial Law, and uh, Martial Law is an amazing book. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, Wallcrawler and I are going to be doing a uh, Wallcrawler and I and um, Crow Fan oh, is nice. actually going to be joining us. We're going to be talking about Martial Law. Uh, and uh, sometime soon, we have to kind of get everyone get together. But uh, but so it's Alan Moore, uh, Kevin O'Neill, uh, and there's been Alan Moore's done several other books along the legal training of gentleman's line. Uh, did a couple of them going deep into the Nemo character, but he has two main story books that came out. The first one, and then the the second one, which almost like almost like a wrap up to the to it. Um, but then next he had a bunch of others that kind of went on with other later leagues and such. But anyway, right, right. if you don't know what we're talking about. Obviously, we're talking about the movie that stars uh, Sean Connery and uh, Tony Curran and uh, Shane West, Peter Wilson, uh, directed by Stephen Norrington, who also directed the first Blade movie, Wesley Snipes. Yep. Um, and uh, see, has our uh, crap. I'm trying to think of the other guy's name here. We should remember don't even talk about the names and stuff. But it's I kind of feel bad now because we were talking about earlier. I was like, I really like this guy as an actor. Mm-hmm. And and at the time that I was telling you I really like this guy as an actor, I couldn't think of his name at that time either. I'm like, yeah. Now I feel um, And I'm I'm terrible at actor names, so now I feel really stupid. It's only like when a situation like this where you know, I'm like blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um uh but anyway, he's um So el- oh. I guess elevator pitch while you're looking up the actor name. I, I have it. You got it? Okay. Jason Fleming. Oh yeah. And so I'm just going to just kind of highlight Jason Fleming real quick here, just because I do like him a lot. Well, the, the roles I've seen him in. Um, and, and in, on top of being in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is he does, um, Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. He's also in a new series, uh, Pennyworth. Oh, cool. Uh, but he was in, um, Deep Rising, which we both love Deep Rising. Mm-hmm. Well, at least I know I love Deep Rising. Quite I like a Deep bit. Rising. Yeah. Deep Rising is awesome. He was in Deep Rising and I like his character in that. He also plays, uh, Benjamin Button's dad or his adopted dad and Benjamin Button. Um, he was in Transporter 2. He's really got that, he's got that great, like, scene in there where he reaches into his pocket to give Transporter a gift and he pulls his hand out and flips him off. <laughs> which is awesome. Yep. <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. But Jason Fleming is, uh, 
is really pretty cool. Uh, like I've seen him a lot of like really cool things. I'm like, oh, I like his character. He's in Kick-Ass. Oh. He's a, it says he's a lobby goon. Okay. Yeah. So you remember him, right? The lobby goon? Oh, of course. Kick-Ass? Yeah. Lobby goon number two. Uh, he's also one of the, one of the princes, one of the dead princes from Stardust. Oh, wow. So if you've never seen Stardust, um, the movie based off of the, uh, the, well, it always on character, you call anything a graphic novel, but, right. uh, from, uh, by Neil Gaiman, but he's in that too. Anyway, Jason Flynn kind of awesome. And it also has Stuart Townsend. Um, so some people may know Stuart Townsend. He did some stuff in there. And, um, so yeah. And I'll just mention Richard Roxburgh too, because he's a good actor and, um, he's been a lot of stuff there. But anyway, so League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, give me your elevator spitch, uh, spitch. <laughs> Beep. And give me your elevator pitch and go, Akomi. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's cool. <laughs> right. Yeah. You see, that right there is how you get a movie greenlit. Yeah. That's it's cool. That's how I'm going to pitch my ideas. You're going to be like, so tell me what this is about. And it's like, well, it's cool. Um, no, so, it's uh, it's about uh, all the great characters of literature. And it brings up all the domain characters of literature. All the public domain <laughs> characters of literature. And so, like all, like, all these characters that you've read other books about, this is them, like, They've all coexisted at the same time frame, and if you like look at the years that these stories take place in, they're all taking place at the same time. So this movie, or in the comic series, is just like, well, what happens if all these guys get together and form a team? So um, you've got like the hero of King Solomon's Mines, that was Sean Connery's character, totally blanking on his name. Um, Ar- Arthur something, right? Uh, Alan Quartermain. Alan Quartermain, yep. Robotania, Robotania. I'll say the coin one more. But yeah, you know, there's Tom Sawyer, there's uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, there's... I mean, who's, who's there? Tom Sawyer. You know, when we were talking about earlier, I mentioned that, so I was like, all he ever did was just get high on you, and you didn't say anything. <laughs> you just, like, you just, like, I was like, damn, you must be tired of that joke, okay. No, I didn't hear you. Oh. <laughs> I had no idea you'd made that joke. It took me a minute to catch on that that was Tom Sawyer, because I'm used to Tom Sawyer being betrayed by, portrayed by younger people. <laughs> yeah. With the spacey and fades to get by. You know, I hate that. I hate Tom Sawyer. I hate that song. I know I you hate, hate that, that song. song. And I know that song too damn well. Yeah. For I try to avoid. Why is it the songs we try to avoid the ones we know so well? I don't know, because you, you hate it way more than, way more than me. I, I, I can listen to the song. I don't detest it. I'll listen to it, but I don't know it half as well as you do. And you know, and like, I, I love YYZ. I can't. I can't even hum that down. And then I'm, I'm like lost. I start like doing something else. Like you know, I, I, it's like I start going like. And then like, wait, wait, where am I? I'm not even the same song anymore. But Tom Sawyer. Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah. And uh, sorry. <laughs> Oh, we got we to keep this on topic. I'm sorry. <laughs> we've, we've gone off the rails a lot already. Um, there's also the wife of John Harker from the Dracula story. What, what's her name? Mindy? Mindy Harker? Mindy Harker. No, yeah. it's not her name. It's not Mindy Harker? It's not Mindy Harker. Who is it? Huh? What's her name? Help me out here, dude. Uh... <laughs> uh I don't know because it starts with an M. Um, it does start with an M. It does start with an M. Rhymes with? I don't know. <laughs> uh, if, it, if it wasn't for that, I'm actually starting to get kind of hot and loopy. Um, I would be able to be like right there with you. Hold on. I will, I will give, I will pull it up for you. Um, so that you, we can tell people exactly who these things are. Um, uh, 
Sorry. But boy, if I go off script for our outro, it's just the end of the world for you. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Because you always give me shit about the outro. It's like, no, no, damn it. No. It's like, you can't say, give me less than five cock the duty stars. Like, so, uh, Mina. Mina. I was close. Wow, I should remember that one. You should, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, there's uh, there's Dorian Gray. Oh, uh, yeah? From the uh, What's-His-Face Oscar Wilde book. Yeah. The, uh, uh, Captain Nemo. I love Captain Nemo. Was it, is it, it's, uh, it's, is it the, see, it's the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm-hmm. And Dorian Gray is, it's... The picture of Dorian Gray. Right. Because I think a lot of people say portrait, but is that, it's actually the picture of Dorian Gray. It's the Gray. picture of Dorian Gray, yeah. Is that where we get the term, the picture of youth? I don't know. Maybe. I've never actually read it. I know a lot about the life and... Times of Oscar Wilde? Yes, the life and fiascos of Oscar Wilde, I was going to say, but I've never actually read any of his books all the way through. He's the guy that really lives with his last name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, boy. Um, yes. But yeah, um, Captain Nemo, he's awesome. and yeah, uh, Nemo is good. They have the Invisible Man, which I can't remember his name now. Uh, Rodney Skinner. Yeah, Skinner. See, I don't know why I can remember his name. Right? <laughs> but he actually does make it a point to say, you know... Um, he's like, didn't he die? And it, oh, that, that's right. That was more of like Australian, right? That was like Hugh Jackman as like Alan Quartermain. Uh, but, uh, and, and he's like, yeah. And he's like, Rodney Skinner, he tells this whole thing. Yeah. And they reference, um, and they call him Skinner all. They never call him yeah. the man. They call him Skinner the whole yeah, time. Yeah. And they reference around the world in 80 days. Mm. I was going to mention that, that which, the fact that they, they made that a real thing. Yeah. Which I thought was super cool. So yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of really cool stuff to it. Um, I thought I thought Tom Sawyer was a little bit of a weird choice, which you discussed with me a little bit that like Tom's not in the uh, in the book, right? Right. Tom Sawyer and Dorian Gray are not in the first book, and I'll be honest; it's been a long time since I've read the first the first League of Extraordinary Gentlemen um, book. Uh, but uh, but he's not in it. He, neither one of those characters are in it. Wasn't um, there a lot of controversy around the book because Alan Moore used the Gollywog as a character or something? Oh, man. like again, it's been a while since I read it, and Maybe I, at the time, something I, else, at the time that I was reading it, uh, and when it came out, I was not really that deep into like you know behind the scenes stuff. Mm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I feel like I read that somewhere, but I don't, really don't remember. In the in the comic book, Mina, who is a survivor of Dracula mm-hmm. and has been you know bitten enough times to where she has vampiric powers, uh, in the in the book, in the movie, she's like that. But in the comic book, she's just a survivor of Dracula. She has no powers. <laughs> she just is, and um, which is a bit boring because I think she was badass in the movie. Well, what what makes her character in the book, I would say, maybe stronger than that is the fact that she doesn't have any powers. Quartermain kind of I mean, almost instantly dismisses her because, like he says, does in the movie, is like, I hope this is Harker's wife with a sick note, and he's like, you know, I don't need a woman on the, you know, uh, right, on this right. team, and the other one, she's like. I am smart. I am capable. You know, I am free in all the ways that you run. (laughs) She's like, I fought and helped kill Dracula, you know, as a woman, as a Victorian woman, Mm -hmm. without any of the fancy training and shit that you have. You know, I'm a survivor, you know, and you're a decrepit old man. You need me a lot more than you think. And, And even though you've got this big history behind you, I'm a lot stronger than you are. So, and that's what makes her kind of cool. But her look is the same in the, um, in the, um, in the movie and the thing where she wears the black dress with the yeah. high collar and the, and then the red scarf. Which is kind of awesome. Yeah. Peter Wilson, who was in the, uh, like the film Nikita, uh, USA TV series. She worked really well in that role. I can't say I've really seen her in anything 
in quite a while, but <laughs> she, she works really well now. Um, and so to kind of touch on something else with the movie before we really get into like the, the whole meat of it. Early on in the movie, there's a scene where we're panning through the city and on the side of, the, of a wall is a, uh, a poster that's been put up on the side of the wall and it's got all this writing on it. But the big letters have Alan Moore's name and Kevin O'Neill's name. Yep. That's important because with other Alan Moore adapted projects, he's removed his name from those because right. he said that his work should exist in one se- one medium. It was created for the comic book medium and that's all it should be. Right. And that's all he right. wants it to be. And, you know, and if he has another story to tell, he'll tell a story, but no one should be telling a different, a, an additional story beyond him. Right. So, and that's why if you have like some Watchmen purists, they were like, I'm not going to read before Watchmen or what this, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I did not read before Watchmen. Um, I probably will go back and read it, but at the time, I just really wasn't interested in it because, like, I don't really need to know anything before. I feel like I got everything I needed for the book there. Right, right. I, I, I was never interested in it. I did like the um, the Watchmen uh, HBO series. I thought it was really well done. And I want to play the Watchmen video game that came out for Xbox. I know it's still available somewhere. Um, I heard that was awful. Yeah, it's just a beat-em-up. But it's, it's, it's Night Out and Rorschach just beating people up. So... Yeah, we... We could do it for the channel if we could ever get our uh, video capturing back. Yeah. Uh, so, so um, you know, it's uh, so that's it's kind of interesting to see that his that his name is still associated with that, with as opposed to like, um, Beef Vendetta and um, Watchmen, uh, uh, From Hell, mm-hmm. and a lot of stuff that has been adapted from Alan Moore work where you won't won't find his name on it, you won't right. find him associated with it at all. Um, and I think he even like refuses uh, any kind of like monetary like compensation for it. I think he does, yeah. So, which is, I mean, that's pretty ballsy. Um, yeah. But, I mean, again, he is Alan Moore. I mean, and, you know, he's a wizard, so it's not like he really needs the, you know, needs the money. I mean, everywhere he oh, goes, no. people only charge him a dollar anyway because he's like, whippity wham wham wassle And then, like, he's like, yes, Mr. Moore. I, I don't know. No, that, that's... Uh... <laughs> That, that wizard feud that I told you about that he was in, that was what that was all about, is he doesn't believe you should use your magic for personal gain, and the other guy did. Uh, well, take him and um, um, the other writer, Grant Morrison? Yeah, Grant Morrison. Okay. But yeah. if, you, if, you, if you're going to have power, you're not going to use it for personal gain, then, okay, I'm just going to say this. I'm not talking, I'm not directing this to Alan Moore. But we're really off Alan Moore's going to put a heck on you. Uh, hex. Two of them. <laughs> God, we're retards. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Better watch out, kids at camp. I'm coming for you. <laughs> what? You go swimming you... first. <laughs> oh my god! Why did Why did I just envision? That's that's who Jason is. He's the he's he's Martin Short. Because I could use the practice. Because <laughs> I'm not the best swimmer. <laughs> strong. Don't do these. We solved it there. There right. we go. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, now, now we can't do the episode on the origins of Jason. So way to go, dude. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, uh, so um, getting back to all that, I was gonna say, if you're not using your magic to improve your own life, then what are you using it for? If you tell me you're improving, you're using your magic to improve the lives of others. I'm gonna ask you to take a look outside your window right now. <laughs> go and just. Just type like current events in any search engine, <laughs> and I'm gonna say you're doing a fucking piss poor job. Right? So uh, you better be rich because if you're doing say if you're doing something for the lives of everybody else, <laughs> screw you. I don't need your help anymore. Unless of course this is like 
like this is like the best that it could be done. And if he weren't working it, then we would have been like, you know, I don't know, like like a freaking apocalypse. Then, yeah. then hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate all your hard work. I know it's a thankless job, but you know, um, I'm pretty sure most black magic practitioners could tell you that there's like very specific limits to what can and can't be done. You were like the the firefighters of the of the magic world. <laughs> But no, I mean, like, it's it's not even about using the magic to benefit others. It's just, like, this is about spiritual awakening for Alan Moore. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah we, we, we just goof on him because, I mean, honestly, we're just trying to pick a fight with him. That way he'll at least not acknowledge us in some way. But, like, oh, you two exist? I don't want to pick a fight with him. <laughs> I like Alan Moore. I like him, too. But, I mean, he's never going to he's never gonna say anything about me or even know that. I mean, he would have – Alan Moore, at this point, will have lived and died and never even knew I existed. Yeah, that sucks. At least if I throw a hit him in the head or a rock, he'll be like, you know, hey, there's that uppity ninja hit me in the head with a rock. <laughs> and he'll be like, he noticed me. Yeah. Or or in the case of like Dr. Jekyll, he looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd rather him just like me, but okay. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, good luck with that. One of my favorite pictures is that one I sent you of Alan Moore and Jack Kirby at a San Diego Comic-Con together. Well, and Alan Moore's like bent over the table and his hair's all wild and frizzy and his eyes are wide and Jack Kirby's just standing behind him like, okay. <laughs> so what you just said was Alan Moore's bent over table looking like Alan Moore. Yeah. And, and no, I don't want to. hilarious. I don't want to pick a fight with Alan Moore. I, I, I like his writing a lot and I think he's, he's, a, he's a pretty awesome creator. And despite everything you can say bad about him or whatever, he did his own voice in an episode of The Simpsons making fun of himself. <laughs> And when Millhouse goes up to him and says, "We well, saw my copy of Watchmen Babies," and that is the fact that he he did that voice in that episode, knowing that joke was in there, right. and was like, "Yes, this is funny" or whatever to me. That's perfect. It's like like Neil Gaiman's episode of The Simpsons, right, where he basically calls himself a hack writer, just steals his <laughs> right and steals his work from other people, and, and that's beautiful. I love it. Um, yeah, The Simpsons really has a way of bringing out the best in people. So I did want to uh, to bring up something else here as we're talking about the movie and kind of really trying to get things back to where they're supposed to be. <laughs> Good luck with that, guys. <laughs> That'll be a first. Um, is uh, the screenplay was written by James James Dale Robinson or just James Robinson, who most people will know um, as the, the you, James Dale Robinson. <laughs> you the guy that wrote these couple books. <laughs> Ooh. But. Um, he wrote the uh, Starman. The uh, was a Jack Knight Starman for DC, mm. and uh, kind of did that whole thing. But he also wrote the screenplay for this movie. He's done a ton of things. He did a book called The Golden Age. It was a four issue series. You can get the trade. Uh, it's for Marvel, uh, illustrated by Paul Smith. I really like The Golden Age a lot. That was a book I really I, I thought was really kind of well done. But he is um, he's a really good writer. James Robinson is a really good writer. He's done a lot of good stuff. He even did. Um, uh, I'm, I'm actually going through like a little Wikipedia thing just because I don't want to try to recall everything and just be like, uh, duh, 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 duh. Um, but he did, um, hey, I'm trying to think there's another book he did that I really liked as well, but uh, he's a, he's a really good writer. So the fact that you had a comic book writer to do the screenplay for the movie, I was like, wow, that's, um, that's kind of impressive. And, and I like that because you got someone that knows comic books to write the screenplay, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, that's, I, I dig that. Um, so I, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, he also did a, a JSA. He did the revival of JSA uh, with uh, another, another writer. And, um, but yeah, so he's, 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 he's a really good writer. I like his, uh, I like his work. I, I, I like his work quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. 
So anyway, that, I just wanted to kind of talk about that because I think it's really interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that before where you have, um, where you have, um, a, a, a comic book writer doing adaptation for, of a comic book. And again, knowing, knowing how to do that bridge, which something we're going to talk about in one of our later things is, um, like why there's, why there aren't any good, um, why it's so hard to translate a comic book into a movie, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, why there's so few and far between. Right. And so anyway, I, I just thought that was kind of interesting that you had that, had that guy there. So you can say, Hey, here's a guy that kind of knows it from both sides. Right. Right. Anyway. But, um, so League of Shrooms, gentlemen, the, this, uh, league is pulled together to stop, um, this, um, this, uh, villain called the Phantom who is starting a war at the turn of the century, 1900s, and he has weapons that people have never seen. So he has tanks. He has automatic rifles. Um, he has, uh, see, was something else that he, that he uses, that he employs that people don't have. Um, and the, uh, I'm not sure if you label the things that in this are like just early, like, uh, industrial, well, it's not industrial revolution, but, um, I would think about early industrial revolution because look at their machine guns. They're like all segmented and. Right, but I was going to say, so I was going to say it's not quite steampunk in the way, but, because not steampunk, but the way that some of the stuff is, is designed. Right, right. Using like modern elements as far as the guns, the tanks and their bombs and their guns. Right. And, uh, but it has that, that look to where, you know, like now we have everything streamlined because we have the, the abilities to make smaller parts. Right, right. As where theirs are, they're functional, but they have, yeah, like several more additional larger components yeah. because they didn't have the ability to make them smaller, you know, that kind of thing. So but the, the, I think it all works really well. You've got your core team there. They're all summoned by a guy named M. And if I remember correctly, M is uh, basically uh, kind of M from, um, I think he's supposed to be James Bond. Yeah. So he summons in together and forms a league. In the movie, uh, there are portraits on the wall in their headquarters that show prior league teams that have stopped these big events. So they call these people together, have these different abilities to stop these league events. One of them has the Three Musketeers and a couple other people in it. Mm-hmm. One of them has the Amanda Iron Mask and a couple other people. So when you watch it, I mean, I know there's a couple of places you can look at online that tells you who those different teams are. Right. But you right. can kind of like pause it there and just look and say, okay, I think I know that guy. I think I know that guy. I think I know that guy. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, so that's kind of, it's just a nice little touch there. But they're all summoned together to, um, and eventually come together to try and stop, um, the Phantom from starting World War, uh, starting the very first World War, which is what brings Quartermain into it. Cause the guy says, he's like, you know, there's going to be a war. And he's like, between who? And he's like, between all the countries, it'll be the very first world war. Right. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that it takes place there before such a thing existed to where that was, I mean, it's a, it's a scare now, but it was even more of a fright back then because you never had something like that. Everything was much more domestic. Um, as in centralizing your you know, location, not domestic, like within your own country. Right. But, um, right. and so they're trying to stop this world war and they, why is the guy doing it? You know, tales all his time, profit. He's going to be the one that's going to deliver these weapons of mass destruction. Yep. And so he's starting a war so that he can Halliburton it. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a really interesting movie. I know it gets a lot of crap from people, a lot of crap from people. It's nothing really like the book at all. But as a story, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun to, to watch. Um, it's got some flaws in it, no doubt. Um, but I like a lot of the elements in it. And I think what really carries the movie for me are that the... There's, there are characters that really kind of like 
grab your attention and kind of, for me, and kind of um, pull the movie, like, not pull the movie along, but keep you engaged mm-hmm. as it goes along. And so I just kind of, like, as I'm watching it, I go from one character moment with them to another, to another, to another. Yeah. yeah. And so it's easier for me to skip over some of those is inconsistencies, those flaws, because, like, the plot is there. I'm following the plot. But then I'm also, like, kind of leaping Mario style from the interaction with this character to this character to this character. Right. And, right. you know, so I'm missing all those pitfalls that are, like, on the ground. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, no, I, I agree with um with all that. It's uh, I, I thought it was really solid. I didn't see anything that really, like, glaringly jumped out to me as being problematic. Um, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, this was a perfect movie, but, you know, there, there was nothing in there that was, like, that pulled me out of the movie at any given point. So, I think it's interesting. Whenever you have a movie like this, there are... And you know, when we... You can watch a movie several times and... Until you actually sit down and just talk about it, you're even just talking about it, mm-hmm. that certain things start to pop up and you're like, oh, I didn't think about it before. I didn't think yeah, about it before. Yeah, totally. But in this case, one of the things that, that popped up is when Nemo shows up and he's got the, the Nautilus, the Sword of the Ocean, this huge ship that's also a submarine. Mm-hmm. And it, the, that, and he has a car in this movie. That car is freaking badass. <laughs> I it's, love that car. It's turn of the century so Batmobile. It's beautiful. And his so ship much. is so ornate. It's it's guys. It's it's a lovely ship. Yeah, it's got all of like these like ornate cur- like Persian carvings and stuff on the side. It's very cool looking. And and the the ship has the the Nautilus has this kind of pearlized look about it because it's all white. Mm-hmm. When he and the car's all white too. Yeah, and when um, the thing's kind of really interesting. It's very indicative of like the times back then where like the use of color wasn't of wasn't really like, a thing. Like people use color, but it's like. Stark white. That, that's mm-hmm. the look. I want things to look stark white. I guess that was like the, eye, the image of clean. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, or pure or new or whatever. Um, so uh, um, with that, the his front, his uh, first mate shows up and he, he brings the Nautilus, uh, the Nautilus to them. And he says, you know, call me Ishmael. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is kind of awesome. We've got Phineas Fogg in there and now we've got Ishmael. Yep. And then I said to you, because I'm watching it for the first time, I'm like, oh, my God. The Nautilus, being this huge white boat, almost looks like a whale. Mm-hmm. And then there's that connection between Ishmael and yeah. the, and the, the Nautilus. Like, and what's interesting there is at the end of Moby Dick, um, when the ship is destroyed, Ishmael is the only survivor. And he says that a ship picked him up and he was the last child of that ship. Oh. So, so I guess in big, he was picked up by Nemo. He must have been, yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah. Pretty sneaky, sis. But Moby Dick is such a good book. People give it shit all the time, but it's such a good book. Um, uh, <laughs> did you ever watch that movie um, that came out uh, from the book that was, uh, that was like The Heart of the Ocean, something like that? Um, there was a movie that had um, uh, uh, Liam, uh, no, not Liam Hemsworth, uh, Chris Hemsworth in it. It was basically <laughs> about the the blubber, the whale blubber um like hunters and the whale they encountered that was like it's like the the story that inspired Moby Dick. Mm. Yeah, well, there were several uh, several big stories that inspired Moby Dick. So it, it, it um, I, there was a, there was a, a meme that I saw and I sent it to somebody because they were actually reading the book at the time and uh, and they were like, ugh. Thank you. Like, you know, not, not really thank you. It was like, you know, more like it was, it was thank you. Right. But what they really meant was fuck you. Right. Um, <laughs> but it, but the, and I'm going to mess it up. But then the meme, it was like two whales and, um, 
uh, and he's like, uh, and the, the, the one son, the one will says, dad, um, like, uh, something like, 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 where did I come from? How would I was born? Or like, um, and he says something and the kid says, or the other will says, thank you. And he goes, you're welcome, son. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the punchline for you. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, um, the, the fact that they, they make it sure that they tell you that these, these literary characters you use that you know of are real in this world. Mm-hmm. And not only that they're real, like they're just another facet of the world. So you've got Mina Harker, you've got Rodney Skinner, um, you've got, uh, Jekyll, and they know of each other. It's not like, like there's like a kind of a big secret, you know, right, well, they don't right. really know about Skinner because he's invisible. But it's not really like it's a big secret. And, and Quartermain does make that line. It's like, you know, about Phineas Fogg. Right. And it's just like, oh, this is just another thing. Yeah. And at the, I think it's kind of interesting because even though it's they're the extraordinary gentlemen and their extraordinary events, they're all still events that are done by normal people. With, mm-hmm. ex, you know, you know, the exception of like uh, Hyde and Skinner and all that. But some of the other stuff like Fogg and things, those are all just regular events that were done where people just push the limits of what the human body could do. And they're like, wow, that's extraordinary, but it's not unnatural. And so so just putting them on that world, then you can imagine that there are other characters like that. They haven't really mentioned, but then seeing the portraits on the wall of like, Oh, well, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the man, the iron mask is there. And then like some, like maybe the Scarlet Pimpernel is there. Right. Zorro is the actual person in that world. That's kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but what I was going to ask you about is you see this a lot in movies and you never get a full explanation. They never go into it and maybe don't even really think about it at the time. But in the beginning, uh, uh, the Phantom sends men to Africa to kill Quartermain mm-hmm. at the time that the other guy is trying to recruit, trying to recruit him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they go then, of course, they fail and Quartermain, um, joins the league. Yep. But. You, you realize that, um, Phantom wanted to start a war and he kind of needed Quartermain's help for what, for what his grand plans were. Right. So, uh, so to, I don't want to swear, I want to kind of stay away from the major spoilers. Right. But right. on top of all the war machines, the other thing that Phantom is doing is he is manipulating the formation of the league mm-hmm. because he wants to get their unique abilities. He wants to get um, samples of Skinner's like blood and tissue. He wants to get samples of Mina's blood, um, Jekyll's formula, and then the schematics of of a Nemo ship. Right. So that he can then mass produce them and sell them also as weapons. Right. Right. That being the case, when he sends his men out to kill Quartermain, he's actually sending them out to die. Hmm. Because he doesn't want them to kill Quartermain. He wants them to create trouble to get Quartermain to come in. Because when the guy says, he's like, I, I've washed my hands of, of, of you know, of England and Britain. Right. Like, this is it. You know, I live in Africa now. And the guy says, well, you know, a war between this, the, between the countries is eventually going to spill over into Africa. Right. And of course, and now before the war started, it's already spilled over. And he's like, okay, I'm in, which is exactly what M want, I mean, M, uh, the Phantom wanted. Mm-hmm. So. That being the case, he really just sent those men over there to die. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of interesting. It's like that's you. They don't know that that's what they're going over there for, but that's what he sent them over there for. So it's like when you do something like that, you have to plan something like that to say, I don't want to see my best guys because I don't want them to succeed. I don't mm-hmm. want to see my worst guys because I don't want like you know, 
like a uh, Mo Larry and Curly over here, but that's just gonna be a dead giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I've got to send some in between guys that I don't mind losing. Yeah, um, but will look competent enough that they were a threat. Yep. It's it, that I find that kind of interesting. Yeah, no, there's a lot of like 4D chess going on throughout the movie, and it's really, really interesting to see and to like look back once you see certain things revealed. It's like, oh, all that makes sense now. So, and I'm I'm gonna try to avoid like slandering anyone, but I have read a lot of accounts of the actor that played um, uh, Dorian as being a bit of a puss um in different movies like like soji like he was originally cast aragorn right uh and you know he kind of left that because he i I think it was that not that he didn't ride the horse but he couldn't ride a horse he had trouble like riding a horse (laughs) and so that's why like after a week or so he was gone um and uh and there was so just like little things like that I, i think it's funny because he is in the movie he's very suave um, and he's very, uh, sarcastic, um, very, very droll. Right. Right. And he's got the coolest, some of the coolest lines in the movie. He yeah, just says, yeah. he just drops his one liners. Then this like, but one of my favorite ones is when the guy, it's really, it's really kind of a cheesy moment. It really is when he, he shoots him and then, you know, like falls and rips off his shirt. You see yeah. the bullet holes. And he says like, w- it's like, what are you? And he goes, I'm complicated. complicated. <laughs> I love that line. That is a really good line. <laughs> that and when, when he's like, you know, it's like, you know, like, uh, like, you know, Jekyll is like, I'll never let Hyde use me again. He's like, then what good are you? They, yeah. <laughs> his lines are so awesome. Yeah. That was skating <laughs> and delivered so well. And then you, and then you hear these reports of him like being kind of a wuss. It's like, oh, <laughs> man, it's like, I guess it just makes you a really good actor, right? <laughs> kind of like Hayden Christensen. Yeah. So I, I think that, but even that scene right there, like that, if you want to talk about things that people probably don't like, mm-hmm. that whole scene where he's getting shot up and stuff. And again, this is when the league are trying to recruit him. So none of those people are actually supposed to kill any of them because yeah. they need all of them. And maybe they were going to kill them all right there and just get what they needed, but they would not have gotten um, Nemo's ship. If right. they had killed right. Nemo there, they wouldn't have gotten his ship technology. Right. Um, so, and they, and they had picked up Hyde yet. So mm-hmm. they still needed them there. Yeah. They needed the whole rest of the league to capture Hyde. Right. Cause he did not go down easy. Um, so, uh, so, so that whole thing was just a, a big ruse to make sure that Dorian joined the group so they could get what they needed from him. Well, I guess you can't really get anything from him because his, his thing is the picture, but, um. I guess the thing with that would be like figuring out the nature of the magic of the picture. Oh, yeah, there you go. So, um, so, like, so again, that's just a whole big setup to just be like, I need you all to get together. So, again, I got to make sure that I'm a threat to all of you. You know, mm-hmm. in, in this case here, what he's trying to do is trying to stop them from forming a league and which then would then make sense like, well, if he's, if he's that worried about us, then, you know, we've got to stop him, you know? So right, right. that, that whole thing in like the 40 chess, like that's, that's kind of interesting mm-hmm. there. But, but the thing is that he, he had his number one, uh, Phantom had his number one with him. Um, I think, um, hmm. And so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of like give a one, one of the spoilers away is the Phantom is actually a disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the actual bad guy that's pretending to be the Phantom is James Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. But that, and the reason I say I'm gonna give it away now is because in that scene, one of his men says, 
He's like, run, James. Yep. And, and of course, the reveal doesn't come till later that like what James it is, but he does say that there. So, you know, again, that was, they were never supposed to actually succeed there. Mm-hmm. It was just another ruse. That whole kind of thing is, is really interesting there. Yeah, just it to is. Put things together. It is. It's super interesting. Um, and what's cool about, you know, it being Moriarty, like that means that Sherlock Holmes is also part of this world, but the reason he's not part of the league is because at that time, Holmes would have been dead. Or presumed dead. Presumed dead. Because Moriarty was also presumed dead. Because he makes a thing. He's like, he's, because he's like, he's like, James Moriarty, the Napoleon of crime. He's like, uh, he's like, no, James Moriarty died at the whatever, like, falls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was tired of writing Sherlock Holmes stories. He wanted to explore other things and people wouldn't buy anything of his except for the Sherlock Holmes books. So he, quote, killed off Holmes. By having him and Moriarty both go over the falls. Right. So so in this case, if Moriarty survived, there's a good chance that Sherlock Holmes survived too. Yeah. So that that would be cool to see. I would, I would love to see. So there, at one time, there was a mention of a Leader of Shrenier Gentleman TV series and may still be in the works. But I would love to see that Sherlock Holmes has come back. But he, his body suffered a lot more like grievous injuries than, uh, than Moriarty did. Mm-hmm. And he's like a... Um, He's like a uh, like a computer, um, like a like Winter Soldier, yeah. um, uh, Arnim Zola. That, that's what he is. So he's just his brain is in this like, like kind of like like early like computer. Yeah, that would be kind of awesome. That, to me, it would be. Yeah. That would be pretty interesting. Yeah, and Watson and, would have to be maintaining the computer. And then, of course, you could still keep up the whole thing of like Sherlock Holmes is dead. We found his body. It was you know all mangled, and, mm-hmm. and which would then lure uh, Moriarty into this false insecurity. Like my villain is gone. Yeah, my nemesis is gone. Right, There's no one right. here to stop me. He was the only one that possibly could. Only to know to know, not know that he's still there behind the scenes working. Yeah, that, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. We have good stories sometimes. We do every once in a while. So um, so uh, they go so going through then they they the the whole thing is that uh, this would be a um a gathering of all the leaders of the countries in Venice and then you find out that these guys are going to uh that um uh the phantom um or Moriarty is going to try to kill them all in Venice Venice to initiate the world war. He's already made attacks on different countries and made it look like the their neighboring country attack. So in the beginning it's an attack mm-hmm. and in uh in Britain and they're blaming Germany and so kind of do some other attacks like that to right. really get things escalated. So, and then, and then everything else is just really the league trying to stop them. When not, while not knowing that their attempts to try to stop them are really just exactly what Moriarty wants. Right, right, yeah. It all just plays into his hand exactly the way he wants. Um, so that, so that, that's, that, that's kind of the movie, you know, again, it's got some, some flaws in it. Like the, after that whole scene where they, they go to talk to, um, to Dorian mm-hmm. and he decides he's going to join them. And, um, and then, you know, he gets shot up and his shirt gets all ripped off. But then the next scene, he's freshly dressed again. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we say dress, we're talking about the guys wearing a suit, like a, a big, like, like Seinfeld puffy shirt. <laughs> and, uh, and then he's got the suit jacket on and a, and a vest. So you left at that, went and got clean clothes. Right. I would like to think that just because of what we're talking about, like, you know, a very, uh, dapper, uh, like upper level Victorian era, you know, like 19th century Victorian era guy, he would just put on a new shirt and jacket. 
Like, because the shirt and jacket that he had were all blown up or ripped up. Right. So they're not going to match the current, the pants he has on. He's not going to have two of the same type. So right, he would have right. to basically change his outfit completely and then come back in the time while, like, <laughs> Alan Quartermain is chasing down the Phantom. It's like, oh, he's good. I'm going to go change clothes. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, but that's, they, they do address the one thing that, um, that I don't think you see a lot of in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you do as a big effect stuff, but this is just kind of a random thing is, uh, in Skinner when he drinks the, uh, the scotch yeah. or whiskey and you see it go down his throat and, uh, and you're like, Oh, that's nasty. Yeah. That was a little creepy looking. Um, but which, yeah, it looked good. The effect looked good. I mean, yeah. So I, interesting thing there, you see it go down his throat and then it kind of disappears. So I guess once it hits the stomach, then the stomach acid starts eating it away and then basically breaking it down into nutrients, at which point it's going to get integrated into the body. And mm-hmm. so you wouldn't be able to see it. So you wouldn't see like if he had like, you know, like a something in his colon, you're not going to be able right. to see that because that's a, that's part of the the body now, you know. Right, and, uh, right. So that's kind of interesting. But yeah, that watching that go down is kind of cool. Yeah. And then the way, like, when you first see him and he just, like, grabs and starts, like, slathering makeup on his face. And you can see, like, the finger marks as he's, like, putting it on. And it's not even. It's not like, I put it on, like, wipe my hand down. Ta-da! It's like, right. there's parts of his face that are missing. But then, of course, you then cut to later and his entire head is covered, like, after the battle. Right, um, right. Where he's just gone in and, and expertly put it all on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh which that's, I mean, I can let that go because that's for movie purposes. Even if you want to say, okay, well, I'm going to put that, like, a part of his ear wasn't covered, then that means that that part of his ear is invisible. So you can see right through to the painted side of the back of it. That's a lot right. of digital work. That's that a ton of digital work. Right. Yeah. It's unnecessary. But they do show a scene in there when the fighting starts and he's only wearing a coat, yep. a coat and a hat that he takes a glass of booze and, and splashes it in his face to wipe the, to wash the makeup off mm-hmm. so he's invisible. And those those kind of touches I think are really neat. Yeah, I thought that was a really really nice touch. Uh I I feel like I'm dominating the, the conversation here. Oh, it's okay cuz you know the movie a lot better than I do. I I've only really seen it like the one time, but uh But yeah, I mean, I thought the movie was really well shot. Um like the action scenes all read clearly. There was never any point where I didn't know what was going on. Yep. Um you know, I I think I feel like I've kind of gotten spoiled off of like Zack Snyder stuff and Marvel stuff where, you know, a lot of modern day superhero movies, they've got like all the directors have their own little tricks, you know, they have things that are very indicative of their style. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anything like that that I noticed. But well, again, with with Norrington only having done I think I told the three movies over like three decades. Yeah. It's kinda yeah. kinda hard to like. Right, right. Thing. So, like, there wasn't anything that was like, wow, that was, you know, that was super creative shooting, but it was like, it it was all very well shot and very serviceable. Um, I, I did think that uh, that Skinner's putting on the makeup looked really good, because you could see, like, the backside of the paint mm-hmm. as he was in the process of applying it. And that was really, really well done. And he and he wears these sunglasses. Um, they kind of, I guess, they just clip over your nose. Yeah, pince-nez. Yeah, so, um, so you don't have to worry about you know, like not seeing his eyes. Again, you know, I think people, if you listen to any of our podcasts or especially early ones, you know how I feel about invisibility and eyeballs. Um, yep. You know, so uh, you can't be you can't be fully invisible um, and have your eyes invisible too, because then you can't see because the light has to hit your cornea and then be you know. Uh, reflected and all that kind of stuff. So if your eyes are invisible, light passes right through, you are blind. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, you're just going to make just that part of your eye visible. But then someone's going to notice these two black dots just moving <laughs> through the room. 
Unless, unless you're gonna like close one eye and open one eye, so then so then it looks like some like, blinking dots in it. That's just gonna make me think I'm going nuts. I'm like, holy shit, I think I'm having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and I thought Hyde's design was really good. I love Hyde's design. He looks great. Um, uh, you know, he's super super jacked, super muscular, but he's not all symmetrical. And it's not like this gorgeous superhero body. He's got like a big lump on one shoulder. Yeah. And his arms hang down way too low. Yeah. Very apish. And they're, they're, his arms are almost the same size as his torso too. Yeah. Yeah. So. And what I like is that as Hyde learns to work with Jekyll and that the two aren't like competing for control. And it is kind of like a, a like a smart Hulk type scenario. But um, the, during that big final battle, it hits the point where Hyde just starts spouting off scientific stuff that only Jekyll would know. And it was like that's that's pretty cool. Where he's oh, when he's he's like he's we're burning through formulating accelerated yeah. rate, yeah. yeah. And like <laughs> he suddenly starts using these like multisyllabic words, and it's like wow, that's that's actually kind of cool that he's actually letting Jekyll shine through there. So uh, what I think is interesting is when the 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 right hand man to to Moriarty grabs Jekyll's formula because he wants to fight him, uh, Jekyll's formula. He wants to fight Hyde and takes a full beaker of it and starts drinking it. And, uh, and Hyde looks down at him and he's, and he's like, it very woefully is like, it, he's like, no, not the whole thing. Cause yeah, he's like, yeah. I know what that is like, what that's going to do to you. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and the other thing is I like Jekyll and Hyde, if you ever read the story or listened to it, like the, the whole thing that's about is that, uh, you know, both of them see the other, it's almost basically like a fight club thing, but both of them see the other person as being the wrong person, you know, like I'm, like you've hidden me away from the world because you don't like me because you don't like what I am because I'm too crass or whatever. But really, this is the person you feel that like you really want to be. Mm-hmm. And then the other person's like, no, no, I hid you away because you're horrible and no one should be that way. So they're both fighting for dominance of the of this body here, right? And, and realizing that I'm all the stuff that you repressed. So if you have this guy here, that's kind of a bad guy because he's working for a bad guy. He knows the entire plot. They've kidnapped scientists and holding their families hostage to force them to work. Mm-hmm. Have you know? blown up people they were gonna blow up like Venice and kill tons of people. Right. So and he's he's you know, he's into that. If there's something that he's repressing, <laughs> it's probably really bad. And for him to take that much formula and you see what it is that he yeah. comes in turns yeah. into. Um Which so. it's funny because like you would think that what this guy's repressing is his good side. So the weird twist would be if he actually just became a better person through drinking the potion. Right. I mean that's that's obviously not how it works, but I mean the whole the whole reason that uh, Robert Louis Stevenson did Jekyll and Hyde was because he wanted to write about the dual nature of mankind. He grew up as a pretty strict Calvinist, I believe it was. Huh. So, like, really, really strict Calvinism is, like, there's no free will. Yeah. Like, you're either born to honor or born to dishonor. So, it's interesting because um, um, I, I, I have a friend that's a Calvinist. And we have uh, we have really interesting conversations about just life, the universe, and everything. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of conversations about about free will. And what I like is that we have conversations about it. And I'll and I'll ask him, you know, when certain things happen, I'll ask him about uh, uh, about like I say, well, you know, according to this, there's no there's no you know free will. So like just like different things. Uh, for example, let's just say that you know if you if you purposely do something that you that you shouldn't have, um, right, right, and and maybe struggled with it, and you're like, you know, what? yeah, I'm, you know, I, I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to, um, and, or or if you inadvertently do something, like you know, it's like I, 
I really don't like. I I I didn't mean to run that red light, but right, you right. did, right? But then, according to that, you always were going to, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like, how does how does that how does that work? How do you yeah. how do you justify that? And then the thing if, is, if, scary. You're, if you're with a Calvinist, and so both of you are, mm-hmm. and let's say one of them does something that upsets you, can you really blame them? <laughs> can you can you be mad at them because? It was always supposed to happen, right? That's what's scary to me about Calvinism as a worldview is that it's just a very small step away from fatalism where it's like, uh, it was inevitable anyway. But I think at the same time, though, it's it's I kind of view it almost in a Dr. Manhattan way. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, maybe it was supposed to happen, but that doesn't mean that I should not have a reaction to it that right. I shouldn't be upset about any of these things. Right. It doesn't right. mean necessarily that I shouldn't be punished for doing something wrong just because I believe it was always supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, so it doesn't, it doesn't excuse or remove any of that stuff. The world still works the way it was. Right. It's just right. that you were powerless or I was powerless to stop it. Even if, you know, I knew that it was, you know, technically beyond my control. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, the duality of man and kind of mm-hmm. how do you, you know, like, What's, you know, what's you, I guess, what's you and what's, um, pre, what, predetermined? Yeah. Pre-ordained? Like what, or what's your darker nature basically? Um, cause you know, the, the basic mindset of, I guess more like puritanical Calvinism is that, you know, if you're predetermined to, you know, to come to God and to become a Christian and all that stuff, then that's, that's what's going to happen. That's what's lined up in your fate. And, uh, so in the story of Dr. Jekyll, that whole thing with the formula is that, sure, that was the path that he went down, but this formula is going to pull out his darker nature, his sinful nature, and bring that to the forefront. As, as I understand it, that's that's what I understood the, the story to originally be about. Yeah. So because, it, uh, it is interesting. I think if I remember, because I think I read it, I listened to the audiobook last year. Yeah, but, we both uh, read through it. Um, but uh, like Jekyll is... Um, I'm sorry, Hyde is, he's, um, much more aggressive and, uh, but he doesn't necessarily go out seeking a fight. He just won't, he just won't run away from one. Right. And right. he'll, he'll, he'll actively engage in one. He won't start the trouble, but if you start it, he won't try, he won't in any way try to defuse the situation. Mm-hmm. And he likes to drink and he likes to, you know, carouse with women and he likes to, you know, use foul language. You know, it's like all the stuff that, I kind of took it as like, you know, um, that it was like all the stuff I'm not supposed to do because this is not what a proper British gentleman does. Mm-hmm. This, even this is not what a God fearing gentleman would do. Right. Even though I feel that way, but I, but I'm not going to because this is what's expected of me. And this is like, you know, this is who I'm supposed to be because this is, you know, this is who I am. But it's like, but are you really being yourself? You're just being what somebody else is. And then that's what kind of creates that whole thing. It was like, you know, when Hyde says, you know, this is who you want to be, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> this is who you want to be that you just keep denying yourself saying that no, because it's not what everybody else wants you to be. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just denying inhibitions. Right. It's like, but no, no, I, I really am happy like this. And, um, uh, and the reason that you, that you existed because, you know, those are all things I have to have something to say. This is what not to do. Right. You know? Right. So anyway, but, but it's interesting when you look at Jekyll and Hyde in the movie, and again, uh, taking into the comparison, we talked about this before. Every interpretation of Hyde that I've ever seen always has him as either some monstrous, like hulking brute, mm-hmm. or as some like like disfigured, like uh, goblin-like person. Yep. But in the book, 
he actually like is like a little person and um, mm-hmm. kind of like, short, kind of stocky, and I think he maybe maybe he's he kind of has this unkempt appearance where like maybe yeah. maybe not always be combed and stuff like that. Yeah, that says that he's like really scraggly and scruffy. Right. So so not at all what you kind of see in, in the things, but in the in the movie there's uh when they show like uh Hyde for the first time he's running around London and oh, another thing is that uh Alan Quartermain says um is like a like because I'm sorry he's not London he's in Paris because he's been kicked out of London he can't mm-hmm. go back and Quartermain says uh it's like a you've uh uh caused quite the story you that like uh create a lot of trouble in the room morgue mm-hmm. um so for any of you that are, are aware there's the what i guess they consider the very first um the very first uh like mystery yeah. which was uh, uh edgar Allan poe's murders in the room morgue mm-hmm. which um in this case they're attributing to hide right. and not to the ape right from right. the for the sailor's ape which is, if you've never read Mur- uh, Murders of the Rue Morgue, it's a really interesting story. Um, and then when you get to, like, like, you know, it's like, I've solved the case. It's like, wow. And, you, and you're, not, you're not disappointed. You're not let down. But you're like, you're like, it makes sense. I see it. I never saw it coming. But it's just like, you're just kind of left, like, just bewildered. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it's weird that, like, stories sometimes just have surprisingly mundane endings like that because there's a lovecraft story and i can't remember which one it is i mean the dude wrote hundreds of them but like there was this town wizard who put a curse on a family and was like no man in your family is going to live past the age of i think it was 30 it might have been 33 or something like that and so consistently these members of the family are dying and at the end of the book you find out the wizard was ageless and he would never die. And so his curse was that he was hiding in their house and every time they turned 33, he would just straight up fucking murder them. <laughs> it's like, that's not a curse. That's just murder. <laughs> you didn't place a curse on you. Now, you not aging is impressive, but that's just you killing people, dude. Hey, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, that's yeah. just murder with extra steps right there. I have a feeling you're not going to make it past 30. <laughs> Trust me on this one. <laughs> Oh, the fates have spoken. <laughs> Heed my curse. Why, why are you coming at me with a hammer? <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, but Hyde says, um, uh, uh, but, um, Hyde says, uh, he, he's, he's, it, when they find him, um, it, of course, he's, he's running away from them. He's running across the rooftops, but he's dressed in a tuxedo and top hat mm-hmm. and carrying a cane. Yep. So, and the top hat is huge. Yeah, because Zoe picks it up and it's like the size of his torso. <laughs> and that's the other thing, too, about Hyde saying he's got a big, huge point at the top of his head, too. Yep, yeah. Uh, um, but a, so he is kind of integrated or trying to integrate into like French like society. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, is like, yeah, but I might feel like murdering some people, too. <laughs> <laughs> and because the clothes are Hyde size, they're obviously tailor made. Mm-hmm. It's not like he turned into Hyde. And they're, they, they're, they're fitting him very well. So that's interesting. And then I love the, um, um, I love the, the conversations between Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. And, and the fact that they, they both know, like, when Hyde gets ready to turn back and he's, he's fully aware of, like, uh, like, of the other person. They both know the other person. He says to him, like, you, you're really going to like my next trick. Yeah. And so whatever the, whatever the one does, cause I think in the book, they don't really know what the other person's doing. Right. Um, right. But wherever they do, they're aware of what's 
of what's going on. They're just kind of powerless to stop it. Yeah. Um, but in, and then when they, they talk to him in that, in the reflections, when mm-hmm. Hyde and Jekyll talk to each other in the reflections, which is very uh, Gollum and Smeagol, but yeah. yeah. Um, and well, the, spe- speaking of this whole like Hyde Jekyll dynamic, you know what I learned about, uh, the Hulk? Hulk? Yeah. What? Um, in the Avengers movie, when Banner says, I, I took a bullet and the other guy spit it out, mm-hmm. that's from the Hulk video game. Well, it may be from the whole video game. It's also a deleted scene from the Edward Norton movie, huh, where cool. in the very beginning of the movie, he puts a gun in his mouth and is a shot, um, but he hulks out the last minute. In that scene, I might have to pull it up and show it to you on the DVD, but in that scene, because he's in like Antarctica, um, and, uh, and the scene, he, he oh. like, there's a, um, the ice breaks. Yeah. And if you look, you have to pause it just right, but you can see Captain America's shield. Huh. In the ice. That's cool. So that break is what actually broke Captain America free from the thing. Of course, this is before the Captain America movie. Right. But right. that's a deleted scene, which I always love that they put that in there because it's only deleted scene mm-hmm. in um in the movie. So it didn't actually, you know, it's technically not canon. It technically and didn't then, happen, but it happened. <laughs> and then he makes it canon by just by making that comment out there. Yeah. So yeah, so I guess the reason that it happened in the game was because of that deleted scene then. Right. So that's that's really interesting. But it yeah, is. I had no idea. And and I so just because you mentioned that, I do like the fact that they they basically make that movie canon both ways. Like you know, well, you know, last time I was there, I you know kind of broke, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, Harlem. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yep. So, uh, but, but yeah, yeah. but so, um, uh, I was gonna say they hide, and it's it's it's, it's a very Hulk like moment too. And that is Hyde and Jekyll come this this uh uh reconciliation mm-hmm. when the Nemo ship is sabotaged and it's sinking and they've, they've got to, they've got to open up the, uh, the release valve and pretty much hides the only one that's strong. I mean, he tells, well, okay, first off they, they get from the, the, the Venice mission, which doesn't go the way they want it to. And, um, and there's someone's put a bomb in the ship and it's being triggered by high frequency waves. And, um, Mina is sensitive to it as well because she says, I think it's Mina says something about like she's, she's like, oh, I'm fine, just like a bit of a headache or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they look at, at Jekyll and he says, are you okay? It's like, yeah, I'm just, you know, something. Um, and then he looks in the, in the reflection and Hyde is like, he's like, he's like, turn it off. He's like, turn it off. And, and he, he doesn't know because only Jekyll can hear that yeah and, and, and he talking. says please which right. is like the first time you see humanity from hyde and he, off, and, please and he, yeah he says please and uh and then he, and he's, he's he's like we can do this he's like we can do we can save the ship and when he saves the ship he looks in the reflection and jekyll says good work yep. and, you know and then at that point the two of them are working together yep you know it's like they both have figured out you know basically how to work together as a team and you know, and I see the, I see the goodness in you and you see the goodness in me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting. And I, I love the scene when they, when he's kind of fighting over the, his affection for Mina and which I've quoted already when, you know, Hyde says, you know, she never even looked at you. She looked at me and he reaches out of the reflection and chokes him. And then Nemo shows up and you see he's just choking himself. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, he's just choking himself, but in reality, Hyde is choking him. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's not like he's like kind of like acting it out like a psychosis. No, Hyde is, is there. Like, it's those ones where like, I can't really control the body unless the formula, I've uh, taken the formula, but I can't, if, if I exert enough force, I can for a short time, like 
right. can take control, and he does that. Right. And and he and he's so sweaty at that moment too, where he's like really trying to fight Hyde off. It almost makes you wonder if it would get to the point where maybe he doesn't need the formula. If if he just right. if he just gave in and Hyde and just let Hyde take over. Maybe so. That would be interesting. Uh, um but yeah, so all the character designs were really, really good. Um I thought it was an interesting touch that they kind of just let Tom Sawyer grow up, and now he's like you know late teen, early adult. Yeah, and so he's that a was spy. yeah. It makes, it makes you wonder though what happened to Huck. Yeah, Huck probably died. I'm thinking that I'm Huck thinking, made a lot of bad decisions in the books. <laughs> I'm thinking that they were probably partners, and that on the mission where they uncovered the plot, Huck died. Probably so. That's what I'm thinking. That makes sense, yeah. Um, yeah, that does that does make sense. I one of one of my my moments that I really like in it is uh, when they're on the ship and he's talking to Sean Connery. Of course, he's trying to hit on Mina, and it's, and it's not going anywhere. Um, and he's talking to to Alan Quartermain, and he um, and he's, show, he's showing him how to shoot. And Quartermain's got the great line. He's like, "I already know how to shoot." He's, like, "Oh yes, very American." Yeah. <laughs> Firing enough yeah. bullets, hope that you hit something. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> but, but what's what is cool is that you find out he really does know how to shoot because of the whole Venice thing, and uh, he tells Quartermain take the wheel and he just starts shooting both pistols yeah. through the columns and hits everybody up on the roof. It's like holy shit, he can shoot. <laughs> but uh, and you seem like even in the in the the scene with um with uh Dorian Gray in his place, you know he's shooting those guys. He's just taking them out, just bang bang. It's he doesn't know strategic shooting when yeah. you're trying to get high when he's like she's like you know we need to corral him and steer him where we want him to go mm-hmm. you're not doing that um but he quarterman's teaching him how to shoot and he says um and uh and he says to him he says did you um he's like hey quarterman he's like did you teach your son how, son how to shoot like this and then he turns, he's like, Quartermain, and he looks, and he's already left. Mm-hmm. He left, though, before he asked him the question about his son, because Quartermain already realized that he was trying to treat this kid like an adopted son. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, because he already says, you know, to Mina, you know, I've, you know, I've had, you know, wives and adventures and girlfriends and I buried, you know, and I've buried them both. And it's like, I'm in, it don't, and it's like, I'm not in the mood for, for either more. And he also is like, and I'm not trying to replace my son either, you know? Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I'm going to distance myself from you. And, and that's a great scene. It's, it's, and, and he's left sitting there, sitting there like, you know, that, but that's, that's something wrong, but it's like, it's not really what you said. It's what he was starting to feel. Mm-hmm. Again, one of those unspoken things you have to look at and be like, Oh yeah, yeah. I get that. Yeah. Kind of like tombstone. There's just like this whole story behind the dialogue, but yeah. Yeah, I, I do kind of love that, like, Tom Sawyer becomes a spy, because in the books, you know, all he wants is adventure. Yeah. And all, like, everything he does all throughout any of those books from that series is like, oh, I want to go on a treasure hunt, I want to do this, I want to do that. And it's like, his whole thing is that he's looking to do some kind of adventure, and so it just makes perfect sense that when he's old enough, it's like, yeah, I'm going to go overseas, and of course I'm going to become a spy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's, uh, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of cool, I mean... It's, uh, I, I, I haven't read the books. I, um, um, no, I guess I, I've never really read the books. I, I know a little bit of, no, excuse me. I, um, I told you, I told you the story about, about your teacher, about the teacher. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I do remember reading that. <laughs> <laughs> and so Huck was going down the river with Ninja Jim. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know it's, what it's, edition your teacher was reading from because it's almost impossible to find a book that actually calls him that by name anymore. <laughs> is is there a white stormy? <laughs> I'm sorry. Is there, is there a black stormy? <laughs> but yeah, uh, that was dude, that was hilarious. It, it really was. <laughs> <laughs> your poor teacher. But I was just thinking that he probably like uh, um that like he's probably like like uh, I'm Tom Sawyer, you know. Federal agent for like, the United States. I work under the Department of Jim, like Joint Intelligence thing. <laughs> uh, that that would be funny. <laughs> yeah, I I gotta wonder where Jim is in all this then, because you know the Tom Sawyer books take place before the Civil War, but this would be going on after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. So, like, I wonder wonder what Jim's doing with himself at this point. Well, Jim got free, right? Yeah, he got free in Huck Finn. So, yeah, he, he got free before the Civil War in that case. He doesn't... Because I know that they're trying to get free, and they're going down the river, mm-hmm. um, but doesn't he also get... Yeah, he gets pardoned. Gets pardoned, okay, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he begins, like, making steps to, to like, freeing his family as well, so... Um, so I was going to mention two kind of off-topic things here, which we've already done plenty of. Um, but uh, I was going to say... Uh, <laughs> um, the movie Easy A with Emma Stone, mm-hmm. Huck Finn. Have you seen Easy A? I haven't. You I've should. heard about it. It's really good. I, I it was one of the things I really wasn't interested in watching it. I started watching it. It's really, really good. Really good movie. But Huck uh, Finn and it plays a big part in that movie. Everything, <laughs> everything with it. Um, and it's really kind of nice the way it's done. But uh, so I was gonna mention that. And also, there's a move. There's a book that I read by. Uh, crap! I don't want to say the wrong name. I'm thinking it was. Ben Winters. Hmm. Um, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to just take a moment to pull it up here <laughs> because I I liked it quite a bit and um, and it kind of I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because it's like a whole separate thing. <laughs> and if you could, uh, I think you might enjoy it too. Hey, yeah, um, yeah, I'll be sure to check it out. So uh, I like Emma Stone. Uh, well, not easy. I was just talking the book, but yeah, Easy A is really good too. Um, but uh, give me one minute here. Sure. <laughs> I don't know why I'm asking you for one minute. It's like, I'm, a- I'm actually asking the, the people listening because I know you're not going to edit any stuff out. So I'm like, please, everyone, bear with me. Every once in a while, I'll cut out stretches of silence that we have. I'm just so good at it that you never notice. Hello, darkness, man. All right, so yeah, it is Ben Winters. Um, <laughs> okay. That's what I want to make sure because um, there's another uh, book or series of books that Ben Winters did that I've been wanting to check out. I just haven't had a chance to, even though I have, um, I think I've, I've uh, I know I've bought the books and now I do see that I do have them. Uh, I did purchase them uh, through Audible, but uh, he did a series called The Last Policeman. It's a hmm. three issue book where a, a comet is coming. It's going to destroy the earth and uh, and it, there's no stopping it. It's just it's going to destroy the earth. But there is a um, there is a, a, a murder and this guy's trying to solve the murder. And everyone else is like, why? <laughs> It doesn't really matter. The world's coming to an end. And so right. no one's trying to help him. And right, he's trying to solve right. a murder here. But in, um, in underground airlines, the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's this kind of, this like, uh, alternate universe world where slavery kind of still exists, but in a different fashion. And this guy is a freed slave, uh, but he escaped and then was caught. And by the rules, like if you are caught, even if you are caught in an area that doesn't, like the, the North where they don't, um, participate in slavery mm-hmm. you can be sent back to because your property <coughs> and he means making a deal just says that i will 
for my, in exchange for my freedom, instead of having to go back, I will hunt down other escaped slaves. Um, and, uh, anyway, and so there's that whole thing. So it, it kind of reminded me of the whole, like I said, gym thing there. Yeah. You got this guy doing this thing. You were like, what happened to him? Like, I could probably see, it was like, I could see him staying away from the whole government thing. Even yeah. if like the Tom Sawyer said, Hey, come, you know, come, you can come work with me. It's like, come work with you doing what? Right. Like this, right. like, you know, I've, I've gotten away from that. I don't have any interest in going back. Anyway, so sorry, I had to just deviate there. Yeah, no, that's totally fine. Um, um, uh, so, uh, Tom Sawyer is an interesting addition. I think the only reason he was put in there was because all the other characters are all British. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any American characters in there. Yeah. And we yeah. don't have a lot of like American, I guess, literary, like folklore in that fashion. Yeah. Like they do at the time. I mean, that, that in this case would be considered, um, uh, public domain. Right. Right. So, I mean, outside of like a generic cowboy character, but then like it's just a cowboy character. Right. Who more than likely would not still be alive at this point, you know? Um, well, I guess maybe you had like the Doc Holiday and you know, White Earp and stuff like that, but um, but the uh, like you wouldn't have like the Phantom um, or uh, the Shadow or none of those kind of people mm-hmm. would be um, you know Tarzan. It's and yeah, it's like and, he, and even he's he, like uh, Doc he was, Savage uh, was was he American? Uh, I believe Doc Savage is American, but I was gonna say um, Tarzan is British. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think Doc Savage do, and but I don't think he's I don't think he's considered public domain though. I don't think so. A lot so. of the pulp characters aren't. Yeah, so Doc uh, Savage is so cool. Doc Savage is the best. I love oh, him. Guy. And the thing is, I think we've only read two Doc Savage books, but man, uh, and Warren Ellis, um, his uh, series, uh, Planetary, hmm. Doc Savage is a regular character in, cause they rescue him and, uh, this whole long story I'm not going to get into because that's not what this is about, <laughs> but he's actually in there as a regular character, a Doc Savage, I'm sorry, a Doc, you know, Doc Savage like character like character. Nice. Uh, it's yeah, it's I really like if you like if you've ever read pulp stuff and it's, this is directly tied to this because we're talking about literary pulp characters and yeah. that kind of stuff. But if you've ever read like pulp or maybe think about reading it, Doc Savage is fantastic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do not try to watch the movie from the seventies; it's just <laughs> god freaking awful. I heard it was awful. I I started trying to watch it one time, but what I really did was just watch. Um, I I started trying to watch it, but then I went and just watched the uh the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um. And, uh, it's in guy, he's looking he's like, what in the hell is this? <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, you know, I, I like to think that if the right person saw the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, then it would get them into reading some of the classics. And like, you know, we've talked about this with comics in general. If, if you're a reader, you're a reader, you know, mm-hmm. if you're going to read through Bone or read through like Infinity War or whatever, then you're also going to read, you know. Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or, or take your pick. So, you know, a reader's a reader is a reader, but I think there's a lot of people who will read modern stuff who may not think to go back to the classics. Right. And I would think that, you know, this movie is a good demonstration of how badass these characters are because it's really not that much of a stretch very often. I think they kind of exaggerate Hyde a little bit and what he's capable of, but, you know, Dracula's a badass book. Yeah. Tom Sawyer is an extremely entertaining book. It's it's actually a genuinely funny book. Uh, there is some, you know, unfortunate attitudes due to when it was written. <laughs> but, like, and I've told you about this, that, like, there's arguments that go on between the characters that is some of the funniest shit I've ever read. And it still holds up as being really funny because you've got two people who are extremely uneducated who are arguing about something that neither of them understand. <laughs> and somehow one of them proves himself right to the other one. And it's like, yeah, no, this is why Missouri's supposed to be purple because it's purple on the map. And, like, it'll it'll take up a half a chapter. And it's just, it's really funny stuff. Um, uh, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, awesome book. I've never read it. It's great. It's so cool. 
I do that. So again, going back to dialogue, and I think that we've talked about this several times that there's so much that can be said with the right dialogue without having to say too much. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the, about, uh, 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 Doc Holiday being a prime example of that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but in this one, there's the part where, um, Alan Quartermain and Nemo are talking to each other. And Quartermain says, you know, I want to apologize, you know, for, you know, for calling you a pirate. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, yeah, I might have been overly generous when I said I wasn't, you know, right. it's, it's like, it's that, that right there, I think just says a lot about it. It's like, yeah, you, you know about me from what you've heard other people say, but you don't really know me. And for me to say, to, to, to defend myself by saying that, no, all that stuff is untrue. It's like, yeah, no, it is kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> but but there's it's more like, to me than what you've heard. It's not, it's not true. It's just that it's none of your business. That's what I should have said. <laughs> but yeah, no, Nemo's a badass. Even even in like the original books, Captain Nemo is just a total badass. So it, he's he's kind of he's really cool in that uh, in like his his role in there and stuff. Yeah, no, and he looks great in the movie. That's just yeah. good. That goes back to the visual stuff that like it's all character design. He he looks like he looks super noble. I will say that Nemo's main purpose outside of being, um, you know, like a 1900s Uber is to just deliver badass lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like, follow a different path. Right. <laughs> and then it's like, bumps. he's like, what is it? A boat? He goes, it goes on water. If that's what you mean. <laughs> and beneath it, you know, it's like, that's, that's pretty much all he, he really does. Nemo <laughs> is kind of the Tony Stark of this group to me where it's like, yeah, no, I just pay for everything, design everything, make everything look cool. <laughs> right. That's exactly what he is. Yeah. Man. That's, that's totally, that's totally Nemo, which is awesome. <laughs> and, and the line where he says, um, when, uh, when the Nautiloid, when the one person steals the Nautiloid and is getting away mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, Kat Quarterman says, he goes, can you track it? And he goes, I intend to catch it. It's like, man, <laughs> he just delivers badass lines. That's yeah. all he does. It's great. It's super great. Um, the ending leads you to believe that, uh, something is going to happen that maybe in a sequel, which of course never, never materialized because the movie did not do very well at the box office and yeah. was, which is know, a damn shame because I think it would be well suited to a sequel. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was, you know, shredded like a block of cheese by the critics, but, um, yeah, and we, we, man, we've talked a lot. Huh? <laughs> man, fuck the critics. What are they, uh... We've talked a lot about it and everything, but they, they, I really like it. Again, not a perfect movie, and I don't. I hate saying that it's a great popcorn movie or it's a dice turn your brain off movie. I don't watch it to turn my brain off. I'm right, sorry. Right. I, mean, I watch it to be entertained, but if I'm just going to turn my brain off, I'm, I mean, shit, I'll just do drugs or go to sleep. I mean, <laughs> the, the whole point of me is to be entertained and, and like mentally stimulated, yeah. not to just zone out, right? Yeah. So I don't want to call it it's a great thing for just eating popcorn, just like you don't have to pay any attention to it all or, you know, like, no, you, you, you pay attention to it. You, who, who says like just not pay attention to something? Like, no, like, right. again, do drugs or go to sleep. You right, know? Like, right, exactly. Um, but, uh, but it's a, it's a great movie for just watching something that's super entertaining and a lot of fun. That you don't have to take overly seriously, you know, like yeah. you don't have to like look into it and be like, this, this part didn't make any sense. Like how, you know how fast I should have to go to yeah. be able to get from here to Venice and back again. And like, and what are they powering the ship with? Like, like, you know how much oil they'd have to get to, and like, yeah, you don't need to think about any of that stuff. Right. You know? Right. And, um, and I think that people who do that, like, or they're not going to enjoy any movies. Right. Yeah. Those, those are the people who are like, Pfft. Batman Begins, Dark Knight, no, no, those are good movies. Those are overrated. Man. I think Heath Ledger's an overrated Joker. 
It's like, so, well, you know, why are we having this conversation with you, dude? <laughs> so, and, and, you know, and I, I'm guilty of that, too. But it's also when the movie is telling, is trying to tell me that this is important mm-hmm. and that, you know, it's like these things are like you, we don't want you to suspend your disbelief on it. And I'm like, OK, well, if that's what you're saying. Then let me show you why all this is wrong. You know, <laughs> so, like, all right, if, if you tell me that this is how you want me to take the movie, then fine. And don't be mad when when I say this. Right, right. I but, mean, it's it's okay for a story to have flaws, but not if you're acting like it's the great American novel. Right. So, uh, but like I said, I, I like League. I really, I, I think the beauty with League is, um, the beauty with League is um, that if you, if you made it into, one, if you made it into a, a series, you'd have to reboot the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which I'd be fine with. I, I think yeah. it's, I think it's, it's, I think it's one of those things where if you made a sequel to it, you probably wouldn't have the same characters in it anyway. So a reboot is not that much different from a sequel. Right, except for right. you are reestablishing the point of the league. As mm-hmm. where with a sequel, you don't really do that much reestablishing. You'd be like, go back, you know, you know, kind of a JC. You know, like, right, you, right. Like, you want to hear my old song by my old albums. You're like, you want to know what this is really all about. Go read the other, watch the other movie. <laughs> yeah. It's going to give you like a five minute version of it. Now we're off to the races. So where if you're going to do a reboot, you do have to kind of say, okay, here it is. And, and this is why, but I think a TV series is great because mm-hmm. then you could do like, um, so for example, the new, um, the next Kingsman movie is supposed to be coming out hmm. is a prequel oh. and it's supposed to be the origin of the Kingsman. And I think it's just called the Kingsman. Okay. Have you heard about this? I have not. So, uh, Rasputin is the villain in it. <laughs> nice. So, I mean, like, dude, you had me at, you know, stab, shot, poison, hung and drowned. Right. So like, you had me there. Yeah. Um, Rasputin and, was Fucking crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure if people know this, but I have a very large fascination and interest in uh, Tsar Nicholas. It's um, not where I thought you were going with that. What? You say Rasputin? Yeah. No, I thought you were going to say you have a very large Johnson, just like Rasputin did. Oh, no. I did, I did hear that they, they chopped his genitals off, too. Yeah, because apparently it was so impressive that they wanted to put him on display. Uh, but which means he was a shower, not a grower. So, <laughs> but uh, but the, but the, you know, Tsar Nicholas and you know the 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 Romanovs, and of course that's directly connected to the um to uh Rasputin. But you know, but anyway, anyway, I have to say, but the the King's Man is supposed to be there doing this prequel um called the King's Man, and that's <laughs> going to show the the or the found the forming of the Kingsman group, and then of course you're going to go into more stuff, but. I was going to say, like, you could do a league thing like that, where even with a TV series, we could have this group and we can bring in other characters, like, you know, mm-hmm. like literary fictional characters that, that we need. Um, and then we could even tell tales from the old, you know, and right, right. that kind of stuff. So here's the, you know, like, here's the, like, the, an early version of the league that had to fight, I don't know, somebody, you know, that, right. and that, I think that's, that's fantastic, dude. You can yeah. do all kinds of stuff. Um, in the sequel, the comic book sequel to the first league, um, they actually, um, uh, are invaded by, um, uh, from Mars. <laughs> wow. Which that poster that's on the wall that talks about volcanoes on Mars mm-hmm. and in the movie, uh, I don't remember if the movie came, um, after the second, um, series, uh, but, uh, but, but anyway, it's, uh, there's basically like, um, a, um, there's basically uh, an alien invasion and the league has to come together and that kind of stuff. But yeah. again, it's been a while since I've read that too. And this was not something like, you know, we we were going to watch a movie and I talked about it and actually Wallcrawler talked about it. He was like, he'd been wanting to watch it and uh, he'd gone, wanted to 
but I pull up watch it on Prime. And he said when he went to watch it, it wasn't available anymore. And I just happened to see it. So I texted him earlier and was like, hey, dude, this thing's on Prime now again. And he's like, excellent. And I was like, you have seen it. I've talked a lot about it. Right. Let's, let's go ahead and watch it. So that's to say that you know we weren't prepared for this. So that's why I haven't gone back and read the other books. Pointing out. It was just we watched it and he dug. And he's like, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about it a little bit because like I like it a lot. Um, it's a really fun movie. I've seen it like dozens of times. Um and uh, it's really cool. Uh, hmm. I dig it. Yeah. I dig quite a bit. And like I said, I like the little things. And again, I think when you talk about a movie <clears throat> like this, more things come out that um, that are like, you know, kind of not necessarily make you like it more, but make it um, uh, that kind of solidify the, like, the, the reason, the reason for liking it. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, with Mars stuff, that could be pretty interesting because you've got the the crafts that they use in War of the Worlds, and then you also have John Carter of Mars. Mm-hmm. So that would be kind of cool to have him like come back to Earth during that invasion or something. Yeah, that that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I'd be into that. Yeah, you know what would be really interesting is if he had um if he was actually leading the invasion. Right? <laughs> you know, if that he becomes like a warlord. Right, right. He like he well, you know, he maybe he goes up there and. <clears throat> um, like there's like their their world is or like their thing is so much better or maybe even there because he brings his earth like like knowledge or like mm-hmm. uh, his views and basically with his strength kind of imposes those views upon them and turns Mars into the society he wishes earth was like yeah. and there's like you know what this works so well because of course he's in charge so he thinks it works well right. we need to go and and spread this to earth and you and you think there's just like a like a like a alien invasion and then you realize it's actually being led by john carter right um or maybe he just he just likes them more than he likes earth and he's like you know they've got resources that we need you know and i care more about you guys and i care about them because they didn't do shit for me except for you know put me in a war that almost killed me or whatever and, right, and right. so yeah yeah so like screw them let's go get what we need <laughs> yeah it'd be interesting it would be <clears throat> so we gotta get this stuff done on paper. <laughs> but anyway, so um, yeah, I like I like LXG. It's uh, it's kind of cool. Um, I'm glad you dug it too. Yeah, it was great. The special effects. It's an older movie, so special effects aren't top for some things. Like for the the other hide like monster, mm-hmm. his effects are not beautiful. Yeah, not um, the best I've seen, but and they're they're so they're they're fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. But the ones that are really um. The ones that are, are um, I think, are really necessary, uh, I think those look really good. Uh, like, like, so, for example, like Nemo's ship. Nemo's ship looks really nice. Um, Skinner's right. makeup and stuff like that looks really nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, I was, uh, one last thing. There's a scene in there where uh, where Quartermain, and this, I think, this is just a smart scene. It's just smart writing um, by James Robinson. But there's a, uh, there's a scene where uh, Quartermain feels that, um, he thinks that, Skinner is spying on him in his room. <clears throat> so he shuts his book and he turns off the light. Yep. And then basically grabs at where he thinks he is. And it's like, that's such a smart scene. It's like, yeah. I, you know, if I go to reach for you, you're going to run away, but I'm going to turn off the light. So now you have no idea what I'm doing. Right. And then I'm going to, I'm going to grab you. And that's, that's really, that's really well done. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'll, it, so sorry. The line that, uh, when they first get, um, when they first get uh, hide aboard the ship, and uh, and he tells him not to be afraid, and Sawyer says, "It's like 
And it's like, I'm not, it's like, uh, what's he say? Um, oh crap, because he's, a, he said something like, 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 uh, like, like, uh, like, like, who do you think's afraid? It was like, so, like, I'm not afraid. And he's, he's like, yeah, you do. He's like, you stink of fear. It's, it's so great. And, yep. and they're trying to restrain him. They've got all these chains on him. He rips one of the, the chains is bolted out of the wall, which means that it just kind of shows that, you know, he's only restrained because he wants to be, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Cause he just rips that one clean out the wall, but he doesn't really try to fight back anymore. And then, but if he wanted to, he could just rip the rest of him out and then that'd be it. Yep. So. So, we have been going for an hour and a half, so really? I think we have a two-parter on our hands here. Holy jeez, man. Yeah. I hate, I hate when, we, when our reviews go long, but we, I did deviate and talk about a bunch of shit that was unnecessary. Uh, it's it's yeah. fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing two-parters every once in a while. I don't like doing two-parters on our movie reviews, though. Like, like if, the, uh, if the review goes as long as the movie does, that doesn't really seem <laughs> right. I mean, hell, that's like, damn, let's watch, right? <laughs> let's not watch, but let's hear. Let's <laughs> Uh, so, but yeah, I, like I said, I, I guess maybe the reason I kind of went a little bit longer on this one outside of all the deviations, because I think it's unfairly maligned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this, we, we talk about this kind of sort of with other things where, uh, I think we've talked about a lot with the Watchmen movie where people see or hear that this something is based off a comic book and they go into it with a certain expectation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't meet that expectation, then they, they destroy it, but then they didn't actually view it properly. It's like, oh, this isn't Batman. Right. You know, this isn't like Captain America. Right. This isn't that. So, but, and, and it should be because it's a comic book movie, right? It's mm-hmm. like, no, it's a movie based off a comic book, but it doesn't mean that they all have the same tone. Right. 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 I, mean, I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, if I, if I went to go see the next Casper movie based off the Casper, Casper comic books, and it was like the Dark Knight, you know. Right, like, I would right. be really upset. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like young Casper was a vigilante that was that was gunned down <laughs> while, while saving a Girl Scout troop, and now he's come back. You know, like no, I wouldn't want to see that. That's not Casper. You know, that's a completely different tone from Batman. <laughs> And I wouldn't want to see his like, hi, I, I'm Batman, the friendly detective. And it's like, you guys have any cats sucking trees or something? <laughs> oh, golly, jeez. Yeah, I, I've noticed a lot of Alan Moore stuff. Like, when they adapt an Alan Moore story for film, it's it just does not feel like a comic book movie. And that's totally fine. It's not supposed to be. Yeah. You know? um, I will say, though, to, in, in slight agreements with Alan Moore, um, and I say slight agreements because... I get what he's going with, and I don't disagree with that at all. Um, but because I mean, if he wanted to write a movie, he would have written a movie, right? Right. Um, but at the same time, as a as a fan of the book, when someone said they were making a movie, like I, I could, I do want to see that moving visual representation of it. You mm-hmm. know, I want to see that. But when it comes to something like like a more book, there is so much. There is so much extra context and in, in things that are added to it that you can't necessarily put into the movie mm-hmm. that you have to find a really good way of, of taking that out or replacing it that you can, that you may not be able to do. Yeah. You know, like one of the things that um, like in V for Vendetta, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really going off on here, but uh, in V for Vendetta, <clears throat> one of the things that um, is in the book that is not in the um, movie 
is like they, they take there's two cops mm-hmm. and they take them and they combine them to one for the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when V kills the one cop in his home, which um, like that that whole that cop and his wife and everything that that that's his his character isn't even in the the movie at all, right? Um, and uh, but there's a whole scene with this cop and his wife, and um, the the guy the cop is he's a complete asshole mm-hmm. to his wife. He treats her like garbage. He, he does is such a and he pulls a gun on her, and he pulls a service uh, revolver on her, and pulls a trigger, and it's it's not loaded. And he's like, you know, if you like, you piss me off again, or you don't do what I want, you're like, you know, next time it'll be loaded. And while he's in the middle of tormenting her, he gets the call that you know that the villain V has struck again, mm-hmm. and he goes out there. He encounters V, and he pulls his gun, goes to shoot him. Not remembering he didn't reload the gun after he was tormenting his wife. Right. And the gun's empty and V kills him. And that's a really cool scene that's not in the movie at all. Like, so that whole character, that dynamic is not there. And so you had to replace all of that because she's the one that tries to kill the guy in the end with all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. but what I really liked about that whole thing is that when you're watching that and it kind of plays a long parallel to the whole thing with like people that are being tormented and treated a certain way because, um, because of uh, uh, because they, you know the regime or whoever that people don't like them, mm-hmm. um, and when you see this, you're like, I'm so glad that asshole is dead. He died because he was an asshole and he was treating her like this. If he hadn't been acting like that, he probably would have killed V. And which you know, obviously we're rooting for V, but right, you know, right. he would have killed him. But it was because you were acting like that, which is what put you in the situation. And you're so happy. You've read the book, right? Yeah. yeah okay. You're it. so happy for, excuse me, for her because now she's free of this asshole. Mm-hmm. And that's how you look at things like that. It's like, you know, I wish that you weren't being tormented or, you know, harassed or, you know, whatever, you know, being, you know, beaten down by this person. But then you also realize that when he's gone, her life actually gets worse. Right. And it's like it's like damn yeah you wish that he was she wasn't being treated that way but at the same time him being removed from the from the picture didn't help things what you need him to do was just be a better person right he's gone her life actually goes downhill so it's like and not to say that she was better off when he where he was that that needed to change but this didn't help things at all right and there's right. that whole thing there that's that's missing because you took you took that entire thread of everything out mm-hmm. which it still works for the movie but. There's little things like that, and it's like, it's like, um, I was there was an analogy that was used um, not too long ago for something. It's like it's not just as simple as just removing that one thread. Right. That is connected to other things, and when you remove those, mm-hmm. you either you have to remove that thread, you have to remove those pieces as well, or reconnect them to something that they didn't connect to already. Right. Right. And. And so, and that's why you have things like that, that that don't work, especially with, with, in particular with more stuff, because everything is so interwoven mm-hmm. and works together with it. And uh, it's impossible to just do a straight adaptation of more stuff because then you'd be looking at a four hour long movie. Right. There's, there's so much packed into a story. You just, you have to, so you have to simplify. Yeah. And, it, you, and you see, you see the same thing with Watchmen. We, I think the Snyder's Watchmen is a really, really good um, adaptation. The best adaptation so far has been the motion comic, but then. That's the motion comic, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but there are there are little things that are in the that are in the book that aren't in there. These little this like 
context and subtleties that are there um, that aren't in it. Um, like the the uh, the lesbians uh, and the cab driver. Right, and right. The, that whole thing. It's a, something small, but it it's it, it's uh, it's connected to everything else. Everything that happens basically on that street. The um, the newsstand uh, vendor and the and the kid. They even though they didn't add that back in a director's cut, there's still more to the two of them and their dynamic right. than than what you see that then plays along into the overall story so that because they are ground zero when the squid happens mm-hmm. and, you know... It, it humanizes the people of the city a lot more and it makes, like, it, it makes the squid landing that much more impactful for mm-hmm. you. Because otherwise it's just a bunch of nameless NPCs and it's like, oh, well, okay. So one of the things that uh, in the Watchmen TV series, uh, there's an episode where the one guy, um, uh, uh, was it uh, a mirror guy? So where mirror guy, um, he meets a woman and she's talking to him like about this, uh, I think it was like a, like a made for TV movie, a doc- documentary about the band Pale Horse, who was playing at the Coliseum. Mm hmm. Um, when the squid happened, hit, and, uh, and they, they I think the, the, the lesbian couple, they were, I think they were supposed to be going to go see it or something, and they broke up. That but sounds anyway, right, yeah. But they actually referenced Pale Horse in the Watchmen TV series, which was just this little thing in a comic book about this, this concert that was going to be happening. So that, that, that kind of thing, I thought it was kind of cool, just that, yeah. that true connection. But anyway, like I said, there's those little things they actually pull out of a, out of an Alan Moore thing mm-hmm. that really, doesn't cause that translation. So that's why I say that I kind of agree with him in some ways that you can't really adapt it and do it justice. Right. You, know, you, right. you can't. And, and, and it's like, I, I know you probably, it's like the only one that could probably do it would be Alan Moore, but then he'd be like, no, I've already right, done right, it. Right, right. I've done it. Like, why, why are you asking me to do it again? <laughs> that's just watch me with extra steps. Right. Right. <laughs> So we've now been going an hour 40, so we should probably wrap this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I really, I, I was, I just, I just ended up kind of putting that back out there, but, uh. Yeah, totally. No, yeah, like I, said, I just, I just think that the movie is not really necessarily viewed the right way and just needs to be, just because it came from a comic book, just treat it as if it was just any other historical action movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's really cool. Highly recommend it. Yep. So me too. So this is Turk182. And I'm a Comey. And uh, you can find me here on uh, uh, I'm on Think We're Funny, and you can also find me in social media on Twitter and uh, and Instagram, both at uh, Turk182 underscore ke. Um, and you can find me just kind of doing all kinds of stuff here. I'm I'm all over the place, um, both like physically and mentally. Um, <laughs> and uh, and you can also find me on another podcast that I do. Uh, which is also, I think, just about all over the place, which is in the gutters that I host uh, with Wallcrawler1, um, frequent uh, guest on uh, Our Mob Secret Funny, and we talk about comic books there. We talk about pretty much everything comic books, kind of like what I just did, um, <laughs> but with different uh, different topics and themes and stories and everything else. Uh, and uh, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, and I'm a Comey. You can find me pretty much anywhere on any social media at a Comey Draws. Uh, I'm working on Inktober now, so... That's worth looking out for. Yep. Um, and of course, you know, Akomi and I will be doing lots of good stuff um, in the future. You know, uh, kind of putting out some books and things and stuff. And um, so, yep. As In addition to doing the podcast, we try to stay pretty busy. Yep. Um, you know, we like to create and we like to entertain. We do. Uh, and uh, so, 
Uh, so you can find us like kind of all over the place. Wherever you find podcasts, we are just about everywhere. Uh, we should be on pretty much all the big places. Uh, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, all those places. And of course, our, our host site, Anchor FM. You can find us there. Um, I don't. I, I kind of have a hard time saying this because I'm like, you found us already someplace, right? So we're, right. I mean, you already kind of know. But I guess you need to recommend this to somebody and be like, oh, but I don't have an iPhone. But like, okay, well, sure. <laughs> Go here. I, I, I sent the link to a friend of mine. I sent him the Pandora one. I figured, oh, Pandora. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't use Pandora. I was like, oh, oh okay. I was like, huh. Oh. Um, if if so, they Google us, they can find us. Yeah, if you Google us, you'll find us. Um, and uh, so please, um, you know, I hope you like what you what you heard. If you didn't really care for this one, check out another one. Um, you know, you know, not every – you don't always like everything you hear the first time you hear it. But, you know, we try to be entertaining. So if you did like what you heard, please uh, leave us a nice favorable review. We prefer five stars. We will accept nothing less than five stars because we try to give you five-star quality entertainment. Isn't and that frankly, correct? we deserve five stars. I think so. We can't, these, these, these stars don't cost you anything, man. Just just give me some stars. Seriously. Just give me the stars. Yeah. Uh, just give me the stars <laughs> like I asked. <laughs> uh, You'll never hear from us again. <laughs> oh, thank God. Jeez. Uh, um... Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's us. And, um, yeah, thank you all very much. And check out some more of our stuff. Um, our, our Let's Watches, our regular podcast, our Should You Watch or You Shouldn't Watch. It's kind of like this one. And, uh, I think we're done here for this episode. Thank yeah. you all very much. Yep. Bye, everybody. Dang, yo. All right there, folks. That was Our Moms Think We're Funny. Let's, uh, let's give him a hand.